Previously on the British Broadcasting Century's 100 Years in 100 Minutes. We've reached 1988, and there's no easy way to tell you this, but that's a third of a century ago. Over the past two episodes, we've seen the BBC grow from being a glint in Reith's eye to having to deal with competition from ITV and then commercial radio. And in this final third of a century, we see a BBC embracing the digital world. And that includes, in the late 1980s, RDS. Oh, the radio data system, yes. Those small amounts of digital information miraculously hidden in FM radio broadcasts. The European Broadcasting Union, the EBU, had decided that the BBC should sort of lead the charge to get this thing published publicised, but it really took off once we got uh, General Motors and Ford to line fit RDS radios because it was able to give people the name of the radio station. Now Johnny Beerling there was the boss of Radio 1, which had its FM switch on in 1988. It was always my mission to get Radio 1 24 hours a day on FM so it could be heard and was there for young people. Yes, in this final instalment of 100 Years and 100 Minutes, we speak to experts, those who were there, and enthusiastic podcast listeners. As ever, we remind you we are nothing to do with the BBC. It's a one-man operation. Just me, Paul Carenza here, telling you about 1988. Alan Bennett gives us uninterrupted talking heads monologues. Sue Lawley gives us interrupted news broadcasts when Section 28 protesters invade the news studio. It was the start of BBC Youth Strand Def 2. Comedies that year included You Rang My Lord, starring Geoffrey Holland. You Rang My Lord was always my favourite, personally, and David Croft's favourite. The original yeah. for You Rang My Lord was set in the 30s in the abdication years. But Mary Husband, the costume designer, said, no, don't set it in the 30s, set it in the 20s, because the costumes for the the ladies were so much nicer. <laughs> so it's all about the costumes. Televisually, it was a feast anyway. 1989. It's the last Doctor Who for now. The House of Commons is televised and Michael Palin goes around the world in 80 days. Birds of a feather as well hit the screens. So says Simon Dunn. Lawrence Marks and Maurice Graham developed it specifically for Pauline Quirk and Linda Robson. It was initially going to be the two of them and a minder that their husbands had left behind to make sure they weren't spending the ill-gotten gains of the bank raids. So their first draft, Dorian wasn't even in it. They were really happy. They w- mm. went away for the weekend, came back, went, this is awful. Oh. They realised they'd written the two characters the same. So they then had one uh. being really upset about it and one being really happy about the whole event. 1989 saw comedy come to Radio 1. Yes, we have to blame John Burt for that because he said, I can't hear any difference between Radio 1 and Capital Radio. And I said, well, you must be deaf. That's, you know, I want more daring comedy. So we brought in a guy called Victor Lewis Smith. He was very outrageous. Yeah. Things we got away with then, which we never would now, I think. A Mary Whitehouse experience was another one which was very daring in a way. It became known as the Now Show when it went to Radio 4. When we started the Mary Whitehouse experience, I was away with my management team in a hotel and the manager came in and said, well, there's a lady who insists on speaking with you and it's Mrs Whitehouse. I said, God, my heart leapt. The gist of it was, you know, if you go ahead with the show, giving it my name, I shall sue the arse off the BBC, <laughs> I phoned the studio and I said, you better record an alternative title. And then we went back in and continued with dinner. And just before nine o'clock, there was a knock at the door and there was a motorcycle dispatch rider who presented me with an envelope. Shaking hands, I opened this envelope. I thought it was a summons. And it was a birthday card for all the rest of my crew. It was one of the uh, actresses of one of the comedy shows. She had impersonated Mary Whitehouse. Just the whole team playing a gag on me on my birthday. 1990. Victor Meldrew has one foot in the grave. Hyacinth Bouquet is keeping up appearances. BBC Radio 5 goes live, although it's not called 5 Live, for another four years. And have I got news for you? It's have I got news for you. More from Simon Dunn in 1991. Now, he's written a 
fabulous book called Proctology, A Study of Bottom. It provides a really nice bookend with the young ones because the young ones was kind of at the start of Thatcher's government, famously angry at Thatcher. Bottom is more about middle age, them coming to terms with the fact that for all of that youthful anger they had, they did nothing. It really was that impotent. And it's, that rage has given way to a kind of nihilism. And, you know, there's a lot of fart gags as well. Elsewhere, the BBC closes Lime Grove at Shepherd's Bush, having bought that venue in 1949. The Beeb invests in another new venue at Crinkly Bottom. Yes, it's the launch of Knowles House Party. It's also when BBC Two get their 11 new idents, all based around the number two. 1992. A year of cringe? Well, it's El Dorado. It's Good Morning with Anne and Nick. On the radio, it's Knowing Me, Knowing You with Alan Partridge. That's deliberate cringe. Absolutely fabulous. And UK Gold was launched. From the Birdcast Pod. Cast. Here's writer and ghost story enthusiast John Deere. Ghostwatch, a Screen One drama from Halloween 1992 that fooled the country into thinking the BBC had proved that ghosts were real and broadcast them into your house. You could be angry with Parky Sarah Green et al. for deceiving you, or you could rejoice in the awesome power of television. Writer Stephen Volk deserves all the credit he gets, but director Leslie Manning is the great unsung hero of this masterpiece. Influenced by Nigel Neal and hugely influential in its turn, this is landmark television. 1993. Children's television was live and kicking. Grown-up comedy was shooting stars. Jules Holland. Goodnight, sweetheart. Wake up to Wogan. DLT quits on air. 1994. In a break from Crinkly Bottom, Noel Edmonds launches the National Lottery. David Dimbleby starts on Question Time. There's a working lunch. The news broadcasting generally is satirised in... Hello, you. This is the day-to-day. In Sketchland, it's the fast show. Nice. And it's the end of one of the finest examples of a genre we've not mentioned at all so far. Magic, magic, magic. Yes, it was the end of the Paul Daniels magic show. I saw Paul Daniels make an elephant disappear. Paying tribute to fellow magician Steve Legg. I could never figure it out. And would you believe it? I was at my local gym, chatting to this guy, Pat, Mm. who I had no idea used to work at the BBC, on props, on the Paul Daniels show. Oh, okay. On that particular shoot. Really? And he told me how they did it. Really? And it's how I kind of thought, but I thought, that's impossible. Right. It was outside, in a field. Yes. And an elephant went into a tent. Debbie McGee yes. danced around the people. I've bikini. seen it. It's incredible. Yeah. Paul Daniels fired a gun. tent fell to the floor. Yeah. Uh, elephant disappeared. Then from that, in 1995, Debbie McGee is interrogated by Mrs. Merton. There's a different interview with Martin Bashir and Diana, Princess of Wales. There's Pride and Prejudice. That's not just that interview. The BBC Learning Zone goes through the night and a giant leap in media's digital age as DAB is launched. 1996 saw the launch of bbc.co.uk. And did you ever hear Pete Tong read out the Radio 1 web address? You can find the clip on YouTube. We can't do the clip for rights reasons, but old-fashioned radio voice will now quote it to us. Hello, it's Pete Tong here. We'll post this item on the BBC homepages of the internet. And I keep saying that and not giving you the address. It's very complicated. Here it comes. HTTP colon forward slash forward slash www.bbcnc.org.uk forward slash BBC TV forward slash Radio 1 forward slash P forward slash Tong forward slash index full stop HTML. Now I know that doesn't make sense, but if you've got a computer and you're on the internet, you'll understand what I mean. But that year, Radio 1 did start live streaming online. Radio 3 went 24 hours. The final Dennis Potter dramas, Simon Dunn. Karaoke and Cold Lazarus. Mm. They were linked through time and things. Weirdly, on BBC Two, and then the repeats were on Channel 4. 
because it was his last project. A notable broadcast first. Elsewhere in those two channels, in 1997, Glastonbury goes from Channel 4 to the BBC. And this is a Beeb who are patting themselves on the back in terms of music. The last great self-promotion they did was Perfect Day. Comedy writer James Carey. They got everyone to do that originally, I think, just because would you mind just coming in for half a day and saying brilliant BBC? Yeah, Yeah, David Bowie, Tom Jones. Just people that you literally couldn't afford for half a day. Each artiste was paid just £250, standard minimum BBC performance fee. Elsewhere in musical news, BBC One closes for the last time, giving us one final God Save the Queen. And news starts going 24 hours as well, and there is indeed something royal to report. The death of Diana, Princess of Wales. Do you remember where you were when you turned on the television or the radio to find out that it happened? Now, did you threaten to overrule him? No, did you threaten to overrule Jeremy him? Jeremy Paxman asks Michael Howard this question 12 times. It's also the start of Channel 5, and on its first day of broadcasts, Tim Vine, with his game show, not Riddle, but Whittle. You hosted game shows, and your brother is Jeremy Vine. He is, um, yeah. He does eggheads as well, doesn't he? He does, yes. Are, are you uh, the only two sibling oh, well, Kusha hosts yeah. ever to have existed? I wonder if that is a well, thing. that's interesting, isn't it? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, that's, I, I actually, at the moment, can't think of any other siblings, never mind it. <laughs> Are we the only point. siblings in the world? You may be the only siblings, <laughs> all only children. Have the um, Attenboroughs done game shows? Um, I, I doubt it. They've, Neither I, of them. I don't think either of them. <laughs> <laughs> David was um, BBC Two. Oh, I think I've thought of one. Oh, have you? I reckon... Jonathan Ross and Paul Ross. Now, some of the interviews this episode, including that with Tim Vine, they're from my other podcast, a Paul Carenza podcast. There's a link in the show notes, and still to come this episode, other chats from that, including Miranda Hart. It's the start of the hot air balloon ident on BBC One. It was also the start of the Teletubbies, and I spoke to Tinky Winky himself, Dave Thompson. If I'm asking a comedy promoter for a gig, mm. it makes no difference whatsoever. Right. Possibly even counts against Yeah, it. fair enough. Yeah, yeah. Um, if yeah. I'm meeting an ordinary person, in an obscure part of the world then sometimes they go mad and go, oh wow wow you yes, know, yeah. it's all you know selfies and phones and everything I only did it actually for under a year right but I, I was in every episode they made because we did oh, so yeah. much generic footage oh yeah yeah I was in every episode they made and my wow. name's in the credits and they've made another 60 episodes unfortunately none of the original footage is in there oh I see so, so you can't grab all of that one 1998 it's a vintage year for comedy with the royal family and dinner ladies goodness gracious me goes from radio to television as does the League of Gentlemen <laughs> In 1998, the start of a long-running topical comedy on Radio 4 called... The Now Show! Thanks to my son for that one. Yes, it's Christmas. I'm roping in everybody. Now, is this the year that Ken Bruce started Popmaster? Or is that 1999? No, it's 1988. Ah, one year out. And the BBC gained its first new TV channel since 1964. This was the start of BBC Choice. There was serious news in 1999 with the murder of TV presenter Jill Dando. It was the start of Holby City, and the BBC had grand plans for Shakespeare. Here's Dr Andrea Smith. In 1999, BBC Radio launched its first concerted effort to produce Shakespeare's plays as a series, rather than just on the whim of individual producers. Those behind the Shakespeare for the Millennium Project said it was a shining example of the kind of editorially distinctive, collaborative project that only the BBC could mount. Shakespeare for the Millennium was never intended to bring us the whole lot, and in the end it did fewer than half with just 15 productions, although they included some of the most famous, such as Hamlet, Macbeth and Romeo and Juliet. These were also the first plays you could buy on CD immediately after broadcast, 
long before BBC Sounds enable us to listen again at will. The Beeb approached the millennium with a full day of programming, as it saw in the new year around the world 24 times. 2000's big watershed year. Broadcaster Paul Hayes. Greg Knight comes in, he gets the benefit of the new licence fee settlement that John Burke was able to negotiate before he went. He pumps an extra £100 million into BBC One. 2000 brought with it Castaway 2000. In the daytime, Doctors and The Weakest Link. And a huge shift, as the 9 o'clock news not only changes time to 10 o'clock, it also changes name to the 10 o'clock news. 9 o'clock would sound weird. But that gave an opportunity in the world of drama. In 2001, those drama changes came in. The BBC can run 9pm primetime dramas, which they'd never been able to do before. They launched this slew of successful dramas, Judged on Deed, Waking the Dead, new tricks, spooks, hustle, these all come along. A lot of independent productions, of course, this is something that's changing during this era. And so it's huge changes in the way that uh, British television and particularly BBC television drama were made. In comedy terms, we gained The Office and two pints of lager and a packet of crisps. In documentary terms, we gained The Blue Planet. And elsewhere on other channels, it was the start of E4. And even beyond television, this was the launch year of Wikipedia and iTunes. So the BBC got in on the act with BBC I lowercase. It was the end of record breakers and it's a knockout. The end of the old, the start of the new. 2002, Six Music, BBC Four, the Parliament Channel and Freeview and vitally, EO to CBeebies. Here's a presenter who was there then and is still entertaining children now. He was one of our first guests on the podcast, Chris Jarvis. CBeebies, people love it because it really helps them out. Young parents with, with kids for the first time, you know, they discover this thing called CBeebies that helps them through the day. We have a bedtime story when they go to bed to help them and and, and we properly end our broadcasting we're one of the few channels that stops to actually give some sort of finality to the day so that children know when to go to bed but also in the morning you know we wake them up with a lively show but you know not two bananas that we we drive the parents potty but it sort of directs children and, and viewers into a direction of finding out more i grew up watching jonathan cohen playing the piano on on play school for example i wanted to learn how to do that he didn't teach me how to play it but he made me want to play it and to be honest that's probably more important than any single piano lesson 2003 saw bbc3 it was goodbye to tomorrow's world but it was hello to qi here's one of the original qi elves stephen colgan there is a kind of decay rate of facts you know if you look at scientific papers 10 years ago there's X percentage of the, of the information that's now wrong. Dara O'Brien, he mm. made a point about the triple freezing point of water or something like that, mm. which we then found out was wrong. So we took his points away retrospectively <laughs> the series afterwards. So he started the show on minus uh. 20 or something. <laughs> <laughs> and that was the year that correspondent Andrew Gilligan went on the Radio 4 Today programme and talked about the sexed-up dossier, sparking a controversy that would lead in the next year to the Hutton Inquiry and the resignation of Director-General Greg Dyke. Elsewhere in 2004, keep dancing, it's the start of Strictly under Bruce Forsyth. And comedy writer Alan Stafford recalls writing a first for the BBC. Two of my hobbies were Amdram and British Sign Language. So in 2004, I wrote a radio play called All Fingers and Thumbs, in which theatre director Bill Nye got annoyed with a sign interpreter waving her arms about and ruining the play. We used two deaf actors. Steve Day, a stand-up who wrote for news headlines, and Fifi Garfield, whose first language is BSL. It was probably the first radio play to incorporate sign language, and certainly the first to include the sign for a very naughty word. 
three huge shows launched in 2005. The relaunched Doctor Who on that Paul Hayes. The change of era from John Burke to Greg Dyke was hugely important. Doctor Who sort of just comes along just in time at the end of the Greg Dyke era to really benefit from that, that influx of confidence and money. Alan Sugar was looking for an apprentice and one of those who was a runner-up, I sat down with entrepreneur Richard Woods. They don't give you a medal, do they? No, they don't. They, don't. they give you a firing. They give you a, <laughs> they give you a B45. The first time I went into that um, waiting room, a warehouse in Park Royal, so it's not in Canary Wharf. Right, right. There's no ceiling to the set. And then you look to your left and it's the receptionist from The Apprentice. Mm. And you're, your fan's only on her. You're like, oh, yeah, no, I've yeah. seen her face. Yeah, yeah. And all of a sudden she'll answer the phone and go, Lord Sugar will see you now. And the doors open. Mm. And there he is in front of you in the Apprentice boardroom for the first time. You're looking and thinking, is he a waxwork? Because you so recognise his mm. face so much. but uh, And then he scowls at you. It, the whole thing's like power dressing 80s it's just built for intimidation mm. but great fun comedians began to mock the week milton jones in a way i'm not a team player right okay right okay <laughs> one of them will say one one of them will say two one of them will say three and i'll say festus but actually mm. well this is my excuse is that the editors quite like that because it's good yes. to have something like that to end on it's punctuation it's right. punctuation yeah. that, that's yeah. the only reason i do it i think mock the week serves comedians quite well insofar as would you really want to see half an hour of any one of those all at once? Okay, yeah, that's fair enough. <laughs> Us all doing little bits. It's sort of a bit like a buffet where you're having, you know, your yeah. cheese and then your meat. 2006, the start of the one show and that short-lived but soon-to-be-revived genre of finding a star for a West End show. Yes, how do you solve a problem like Maria? One of the great nature documentaries, Planet Earth, and who can forget poor Guy Goma ending up on BBC News 24 when he'd only turned up for a job interview. In sitcom land, the start of a job for me that I'm still doing today, writing for Lee Max, not going out. Yeah, and you've been in not going out as well, haven't you? Yeah, well, in fact, the episode that I was a wedding guest as a, as a, as a cameo in was yeah. when the same episode, Tommy Cannon was the uh, the cameo as the vicar. And then, of yeah. course, uh, our dear friend Bobby Ball. We thought it might it might be the final ever episode. So I said to Bobby, we'll break the fourth wall and I want you when, I, when we say, how are you keeping your trousers up? Uh, which was relevant to the story. <laughs> how are you keeping your trousers up? I want you to get the red braces out, you know, because that was his famous catchphrase thing he used to do is, is tweak his red braces. And he did it. We said, cut. And then I said, sorry, can we go again? And I, I wasn't joking. I said, Bob, um, I'm not sure, sure you did that correctly. And he went, I've been pulling these red braces <laughs> for 50 years and you're telling me I didn't do it properly. And he never let me forget that. Lemack also debuted another comedy show in the panel show genre in 2007, duelling against David Mitchell, Would I Lie to You? And with a secret on how to spot who's lying on Would I Lie to You, in her first appearance on this podcast, here's my wife. When the guest comes in, so one of the panel knows yeah, someone. which is telling the truth. Yeah. And you have got it right every time. I can tell by their body language who knows the person who comes in because they look down. They look away from the person as they come in and everyone else looks at them because they they don't know who's going to come through the door. So they're looking around expecting. So they're being polite. It's the first time you're meeting them. But they're also or... being interested in what's happening. That's whereas true. the person who, who knows the person... Looks away. Looks away. That, that, I'll tell you why that doesn't quite hold up. Lee Mack. Because I know something about the show that your wife doesn't know. You read from the card, but the one time you don't read from the card is when the person walks on. You've got to just know it. You've got to learn learn the phraseology. Mm. Me and David, having done this for many years, it's fair to say, are just a bit slacker than the guests in learning it. 
So even though we're not supposed to read it, we'll, we'll jot down a little note on the desk, we'll put it there, we'll just surreptitiously just have a little glance to remind ourselves. Mm. So when the person's walking on, we're not looking at the person because we're just reminding ourselves of what it is. <laughs> oh, fair enough. But if one of the guests doesn't mm. look, Good system. Could be. Could One be. which I will now be using. You can have that. It was the start of Gavin and Stacey and helping inform, educate and entertain children across the land in the night garden. Author of On Living With Television, Dr Amy Holdsworth. It's so beautiful, actually, when, when you sit down and look at in the night garden, at what it's doing and how it's specifically designed to alleviate those anxieties. That from going from being with a group of people to being on your own, those fears around falling asleep, am I going to wake up? What what if I have nightmares? And then you also see the characters, they're read a bedtime story in the episode itself and then they're put to bed and Iggle Piggle's gently coaxed by Derek Jacobi to, you know, <laughs> to chill out and lie down. Yeah. I think it's a really beautiful programme in the night garden. In 2008, Cabin Pressure started on Radio 4. Benedict Cumberbatch and Roger Allen were pilots for an airline that had only one plane. Stephanie Cole ran the company and writer John Finnemore played her son, the air steward. Each episode was named alphabetically after a destination, from Abu Dhabi to Zurich, the two-part finale. This humble radio sitcom became a worldwide phenomenon, and when they advertised the available 200 tickets for the final episode recording, they received nearly 23,000 applications. Alan Stafford. Charlotte Green gets the giggles. Goodbye, Grange Hill, and goodbye, Alusa former broadcasting, as Jonathan Ross and Russell Brand prank call Andrew Sachs, adding layer upon layer of compliance for the rest of us making radio for many years to come. That prank call gains the BBC its biggest ever fine for a single broadcast, £150,000. 2009, the start of Horrible Histories, and a show that I wrote on, Miranda. I sat down with Miranda Hart. Your own sitcom is, of course, brilliant, obviously. Cheers, Paul. As the performance, the writing as well is... is the, why do you mention the writing? I don't know, it just happened to be one of the first. Yeah. The vision mixing, okay, everything, yeah. every yeah. part of it's this really good. It's weird that you mentioned the writing. It is weird, I don't know why it was in my head. Uh, and uh, didn't you particularly love the customer in the customer. Series 3? <laughs> the customer in Series 3. Who I didn't realise, you just told me was the only one to buy anything. Yeah, you the were the only, you played the only customer really? who had a legitimate purchase. Wow, keeping the shop afloat Yeah, you were, literally, it's you, yeah. You got the full transaction. Yes, and you were thrown out after the purchase, not before. That's true. Sorry, and, I interrupted um, your question. No, it was a fine interruption. How rude. That's actually an excerpt from a Paul Carenza podcast. You can hear the rest of the interview if you follow the link in the show notes. 2010, The Great British Bake Off and revitalising the detective thriller Sherlock and Luther. 2011, the BBC puts its roots down in Salford. It's the first live 3D TV. BBC Seven becomes Radio 4 Extra. And it's the start of Mrs Brown's Boys. Studio audiences, to me, are essential. Geoffrey Holland. And the ones that exploited it. Mrs Brown's Boys. I mean, he exploits the audience and he exploits his, his fellow actors, bless him, you know, because he, he uses all the mistakes and keeps them in. And they even do a theatrical bow at the end of it, in front of the audience. So we see the audience, we see all the cameras, because we know they're there. Exploits it and makes the best of it, I think. That's wonderful. In 2020, 12, it's goodbye CFAX and goodbye Bush House as the World Service leaves it after 70 years. And we say goodbye as well to our memories of Jimmy Savile as ITV shows that documentary and the darker side to that presenter. But in lighter news, the peak of modern civilization. yes, the London 2012 Olympics. Comedian David Whitney. I've got a theory that it might have been the, the apex of human evolution because yeah. uh, it seemed like the most pure celebration of love and sport and togetherness and international and since then. It's been downhill since then. Yeah, I, I genuinely yeah, yeah, think that, yeah. you know, the species that comes after us yeah. will 
we'll, we'll see the London. That was the high point. Line of Duty and Citizen Khan, all shows enjoyed by the cast of that 2013 debut show, Gogglebox. From that, Reverend Kate Botley. I really, really like telly. Massive telly addict. Do you still watch telly when you're not being filmed watching telly yeah we do absolutely and for Gogglebox we sometimes end up watching things that we wouldn't necessarily watch I, mean, I do a stupid crazy job you know I, yeah. I do everything from marrying people to burying babies yeah. which is just crazy oh. um, that yeah. means that you know you, there's nothing nice than to get in and open a bottle and watch something silly it was the launch of a new era at the BBC as new broadcasting house opened HD began on BBC 3 4 the news channel CBBC and CBBS because the BBC now had to contend with a new kid on the block Netflix. And it's notable to think that the first major Netflix show was a remake of an old BBC drama, House of Cards. But BBC drama put its flag in the ground with a brand new show, Peaky Blinders. And after many decades, it was the last Patrick Moore, Sky at Night. In 2014, uncomfortable viewing for anyone who worked at the Beeb as W1A reached the air. Elsewhere in BBC introspection terms, they did a sequel to Perfect Day with the release of a God Only Knows music video promo ad thing, which actually was really rather good. 2015 saw the final Sunday broadcast of Radio 1's official chart show. The BBC store began, remember that. Wogan left children in need. Some cracking dramas with Poldark, Dr Foster, Wolf Hall and food fans are watching Nadia Hussein win Bake Off. There was a thing out at the time called Roger and Val have just got in. Co-creator and writer of 2010 sitcom Peter Kay's Car Share. It's Tim Reid. Just before there was a thing called The Smoking Room and those really tightly confined situations can really allow you to just then explore the characters. And I'd not long read... Men are from Mars, women are from Venus. The points of conflict. One thing particularly that I remember reading was that um, women tend to have 20,000 words a day that they need to get out you know, okay. for, to make it for a happy day. Uh, whereas for men, it's about 7,000, so about 13,000 less. So we often run out as blokes, run out of words <laughs> by that tea time. Right. You know, if you had that, a fairly flighty, fun loving, chatty, colleague, female colleague, thrown in with a bloke who just wants to listen to five live the news, doesn't talk in the car, you know, the car's not for chatting, and then, but they're thrown together, what they'd, you'd hope they'd grow to realise is actually he could do with being a lot more like her, and she could probably do with being a bit more like him, and that was the start of it really, and then John and Kayleigh were, were born, yeah, totally without Peter and Sean yeah. in mind. Great dramas in 2016 included The Night Manager and The A Word. Our comedies included Upstart Crow, Mum and Two Doors Down. A huge breakout success, breaking the fourth wall too, it's Fleabag. 2017. Here's Chris Jarvis. I watched The Repair Shop, which I think is such a good programme. And it makes me think, oh, do you know, I need to take more care looking after things. And there are things which I really shouldn't be throwing away. And all I have to do is Google it and find out how to do it. There's a YouTube somewhere of somebody showing me how to French polish a piece of furniture. Richard Osman gave Davis House of Games. In Satire News, The MASH Report, which is now, of course, over on the Dave channel. And the BBC Trust became the BBC Board, which means, um, I don't know, something. In 2018, David Dimbleby left Question Time at the launch of a new drama thriller, Killing Eve. It was Goodbye Film 71, well, Film 2018, or whatever they're calling it by now, after Barry Norman and later Jonathan Ross. It was also Goodbye to The Organist Entertains after 49 years, and Goodbye to The Sunday Hour after 78 years. But instead, we skip to BBC Sounds. In 2019, it's Ghosts, The Goes Wrong Show. We also gained RuPaul's Drag Race and Race Across the World, which, bless it, at the real makings of a fantastic global game show. But unfortunately, 2020 had other things in store. Yes, the pandemic restricted TV production, travel and so much of our lives. 
Public service broadcasting stepped in and we gained from BBC bite-sized homeschoolings, pandemic briefings, Morning Live, which is still with us now, and a few changes had to be made. On EastEnders, the stars snogged their real-life partners or they had glass in between each other. CBB's presenter Chris Jarvis reflects on how children's broadcasting stepped in just when we needed it. In the pandemic, Dr Rand doing some brilliant stuff about how to stay safe without frightening children. Some very sweet programmes like Moon and Me, which are made with love in mind it's all about reassurance and hopefully kids are watching it and actually thinking ah you know that's a good way to be looking after each other and and all those important things all those life skills that might otherwise be uh, missed out bbc radio sussex and bbc radio surrey boss mark carter if ever there was an important part for bbc local radio and for community radio to play it is now what we do is we connect with communities. So we've run a brilliant campaign recently, uh, which is an ongoing campaign called Make a Difference. Uh, And as the name suggests, it really does make a difference. It, It came up at the start of the COVID pandemic. We were there pointing people in the direction of support when they needed it. And we've been there collecting unwanted sports kit recently in a campaign called Kit Out the Nation. So it's more than just kind of the local news and the local travel. It's a genuine thing of being at the heart of the local community as well. And that, to me, is a really special thing. 2021. Rose Ailing Ellis became the first deaf person to win Strictly. George Webster became the first CBeebies presenter with Down Syndrome. And in font news, it was goodbye to Gil Sands and hello to Reith Sands. The only two fonts that I know named after the key players in a debate over the statue outside Broadcasting House. Which brings us to Centenary Year 2022. A year of incredible royal coverage from the Jubilee, the Paddington sketch, and of course the funeral of Queen Elizabeth II. Still the only broadcast to be witnessed, apparently, by half the planet. It certainly had an effect on a man who has let go from Radio 4's feedback this year, Roger Bolton. It got the funeral of the Queen brilliantly right, I think. Mind you, as uh, it was rehearsed and rehearsed so they should, but it was fabulously done. I also thought they got the balance better than they did with the Duke of Edinburgh when the coverage was just over the top. And the first televised King's Christmas message. Here's Radio 4 Today host Justin Webb. There are huge audiences for news things when there's a big news event for the BBC, but also some big state occasions. Do we still want to have that kind of sense that everyone's pretty much watching on the same channel? Um, that, that Those are the arguments, and that's another argument for the BBC remaining funded in the, in the way that it is. It is a changing BBC with cuts to local radio, to CBBC, to BBC4, and who knows what else yet to come. The coverage of Ukraine in many ways shows the BBC at its best. Broadcasting historian Professor David Hendy. One of the criticisms that I suppose that has been levelled against the BBC in recent years is that it's, it's too big there's wastefulness and so on. But actually, it's the size and the resources and the cultural capital and the institutional memory where it still exists that allows the BBC to swing into action in a really impressive way when it comes to a big event. It's horrible to refer to a war as an event, but I hope you understand what I mean. Within a very short space of time, I mean, as I understand it, there was satellite equipment placed in Ukraine by the BBC even before the Russians had invaded. There was institutional knowledge. There's spare capacity. It pays off, doesn't it, when something happens. Wrapping things up, what about that blue Peter badge my daughter was expecting? Well, in the first post after Christmas. Right, so darling daughter opening her post. Well, it's blue Peter and I've got the badge! <laughs> I look like a presenter now.
Are you pleased with that? Yeah. Concluding British broadcasting centenary year, perhaps the first breakthrough hit of its second century was The Traitors. Now, that's not the Netflix Harry and Meghan documentary that Talk TV and GB News have been obsessed with. Let's leave the new pop-up populist talk stations to it, shall we? Although their new existence is certainly worthy of this audio footnote. No, The Traitors is the newest reality show hit front and centre on BBC One. Confounding expectations at the time viewing was the must-experience version, so you don't get spoilers. So perhaps in this streaming universe, we are still faithful to linear broadcasting after all, now and then, despite our occasionally traitorous ways, dabbling with Netflix, Apple TV, Disney+, Plus, Amazon Prime... So we've reached the end of that first British broadcasting century. This podcast, of course, has only just got underway. Over the next couple of episodes, we hope to bring you the history of religious broadcasting. Also going back to February 1923, picking up where we left off with the tale of the early BBC's feud with the newspapers. Do stay tuned to this frequency. But a couple of people I want to leave you thinking about, because also this year, Joe Lysett straddled comedy and news as he made the headlines doing jokes about a prime minister on the very first edition of Laura Koonsberg on Sunday. How dare he? Over on a Paul Carenza podcast, I had a chat with Joe Lysett. Hello. I see you all the time now on the telly box. Has it been fun? Does it feel like work or is it... Um, uh, it it, it always on? is a mixture of feeling like work mm. because of the kind of pressure of it. Live telly, I'm tr- endeavouring to approach things yeah. with that attitude of like, what's the absolute yeah. worst that could happen? But wanting to definitely enjoy it but I think when you first start doing television it feels so Mm. important to get it right all the time and you lose some of that like useful kind of oh just messing about but yeah I'm still enjoying it and I think this is this probably the case with life isn't it to sort of remind yourself that it's fun yes yes like you can take life very seriously and Mm. I've been guilty of that at times but if you just go, oh, it doesn't matter, does it? Yeah, yeah. Then actually exactly. it's all fine. It's a business of play, isn't it, really? So yeah. we've been doing a bit of that stuff. You've been dead yeah. before you know it. Well, exactly. And doesn't that remind you of one of those there at the start? The first chief engineer of the BBC, Peter Eckersley. If only people would see their jobs, if only people would see their lives in terms of its humour, of its excitement, and that a job well done deserves laughter, not the solemnity of the pomp administrator on top of it. If we could only see that the thing that we do is a God-given thing for heaven's sake because it's creative and it's fun and it's exciting. That pioneer adventure was born in laughter, was nurtured in laughter and died in laughter. This podcast is presented and produced by me, Paul Carenza. Original music is by Will Farmer. We're nothing to do with the BBC, so if you like this, do consider chipping in on patreon.com slash paulcarenza, or you can do a one-off tip to coffee.com ko-fi.com slash paulcarenza. Do share us on your social media or with your friends down at your public houses or in your cafes. We're on Twitter at BBCentury, or find us on Facebook and join our group. And well done the Beeb on their centenary year. Stay informed, educated and entertained. And join us in 2023 as the second British Broadcasting Centre gets underway here on the British Broadcasting Century.